Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, tackling the impossible task of saving someone from their own demons. New lessons from the Bible tell us, when you are commanded to kill everybody, that means everybody. The availability of Viking funerals. Swimming with sharks turns out to be just as dangerous as you think it would be. Bicycling to beat Nazis, Italian gelatos, cassette tapes, and a call to action to save your podcasting pals from headphone funk. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dallas Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 98 of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Here we are again. Danielle's here with me. And uh, I just, real quick off the top, $62,500 in Kiva loans. That's sweet, man. That's you guys really stepping up. We're at almost 200 members of our team, Drunken Dallas. Kiva.org, Team Drunken Dallas. Come on, join us. Especially, it's getting to be November. If you need to give something that will really piss off some shitty little nephew or niece you have that's uh, way too entitled and needs to learn that other people have hard lives, keep a gift card. You can, uh, you know, give send them a little gift. They'll send a little like credit card size thing. It's a twenty five dollar loan that they have to give to somebody else. And you know what? If they're truly shitty, they'll take their twenty five dollars back once the loan comes through, which usually takes about twelve to eighteen months. But you may enlighten them enough to. Have them send that money back out again. I've got loans that, that are like the fifth incarnation of some money I sent back five years way, ago. Way back, and that's right. when it really gets exciting because that's sort of cash that's been spent. But to be able to reuse it to help folks out over and over again, it's a great feeling. And uh, this is the reason for the season, man, to do some giving. It's better to give than receive. And uh, there's a lot of layers to that. But I think the Kiva gift cards are a great idea. And you can actually attach them to the Team Drunken Dallas as you get them. And join us in the... You know, that number, as foolish as it seemed to even consider two and a half years ago when we started this, that's going to be $100,000 sometime next year. And you guys, the 176 of you that have joined us, I can't thank you enough. Sweet. So, that's I, that. I like that. Sign up, join up, and uh, off to the, 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 the trio of awesomeness. Yeah, these folks have been super sweet to us. Uh, that's Usara, our very first sponsor with the coolest ham gear. Again, both Rich and I, if you, if you could see the room we are in right now, we have at least like five pieces of that's Usara bag, yep. backpacks, uh, even down to that would be me, fanny packs and uh, everything I got a else. Fan fanny pack in my house. So, and, uh, so you know, I lo- we love their stuff. It's great. It's super high quality, good for the environment, long lasting for you. I dig them. I really, really do. So check out if you need any kind of bags, check out Datsusara first. And Chris is just top notch kind of guy. Yes. Yeah. Sweetest person. Absolutely. One of the sweetest human beings out there. Um, on it, we have our second sponsor in terms of duration of the whole thing. They came around pretty damn early on. Thank you, Aubrey, for hooking us up. On it as, well, you guys know, if you listen to podcasts, you know, from Joe Rogan to just about everybody at one point or another, you hear On It mentioned because they have been really key in putting their money into sponsoring podcasts. They've done it for quite a while. And it's really sweet. And they have they've had a tremendous success. I mean, when you look at the story of Onnit, it's unbelievable how a company that did not exist just a few years ago has ballooned in this big, huge thing. Why? For a simple reason. Because their stuff is cool. Because yeah. their stuff is just good. And the majority of the people who try it decide they want to try it again. It's even impossible to even try to capture it. Whereas, you know, that's a Sarah is easy to tell you. Oh, bags, hemp gear. On it, there's so much stuff that is hard to keep track even because it's primarily divided into foods, uh, 
supplements and workout gear. Plus, there's now more apparel and t-shirt and stuff, but there's so much stuff out there. Give yourself five minutes, check out the Onnit website, and see if there's anything that catches your eye. You should definitely check out, I love the superfood nutrient blend. It's like it's like a, the greatest multivitamin ever. Yeah. I, I don't know what the proper dosing is, but I do it every Monday. Yep. Because I just think, how much of it can you possibly handle? That could even be wrong, but put that in some juice to kind of take that edge of that vitamin E taste down, gulp it down. I feel great. I know, man. Sometime I've had, uh, once I was hanging out with Aubrey, and he gave me this thing that he, he mixed all these different only products. And some of them are for the properties primarily. They are not for the taste. So right. it's one. Oh, absolutely. But then he mixed them up in a way with something where it actually tasted awesome. He did it. I was like, no way this is you put all of this stuff in here and this is the end result i was pretty impressed so there's that and of course the t-shirts with yes, shirt yes. design t-shirts glorious glorious shirt design of course there are our own t-shirts made by shore design um check them out they're all we made four different drunken taoist t-shirts and then there are shore design their company everything else they make which i strongly recommend i own a bunch of them i love them that's like most of the t-shirts i ever wear are shore designs so great stuff having said that i would say let's get to the episode here we go hey we did it yes hands to the air because Father Bovelli has returned to help straighten us out on this confusing document known as the Bible. What's up for today? Let's go play. So last time we left it off with some monstrous genocidal war leading to the fact that we clearly need a king. We can't live without a good dictator ruling over us, otherwise immorality will prevail to the land. Yep, can't have a visitor that can't get raped. So, exactly, you know, stuff like that. So now we have a king. The first one in the list of kings was Saul. And, um, however, good old Saul screws it up rather quickly. And the way he screws it up is interesting, because it's probably the kind of thing that he would get props for, in the modern world, but not so much in the biblical world. Specifically, the one there was one group, the Amalekites, or something along those lines. I doubt that that's how it was pronounced back 3,000 years ago, but that's as close as I can make it. Uh, these guys were being uh, rival people with the Jews in the Middle East. They got into fights with them before. They attacked them before. So now it's time for some payback. So Saul got the Jewish army together to go after these guys and settle the scores. However, the divine instructions received by God in regard to these are, I quote, Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have. Everything. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. You think at least you take the food? Yeah, nope. Everything needs to go. The whole thing needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. How does that message come across? Would that, you get an email, sand mail? The divine just, just angel flying, I think. Yeah, that all was right. the message. Get your swords, boys. Here we go. So, yeah, you need to kill them all. Again, I love the slay them both, man and woman, infant and suckling. And it gets really like into the details and the nitty-gritty. But in any case... So Saul promptly complies by massacring all the men and women and babies, along with the lower quality livestock. But he decides, hey, I can keep at least the better part of the livestock. See, I, I mean, would have had the same problem. What, like, what have the cows done? You know, And we can, can eat these uh, bastards tonight. Yeah, exactly. celebrate. We'll kill them a little later. We don't need to be wasteful. No. We- Just a black helicopter. I know. Where's the- Alex Jones? Yeah, that's the. they are coming for us. Oh. At least it'll be live. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm exactly with that. I would not have wasted good horses. But so nice again, goats. the guys is sticking to the. You know, he killed all the men. He, they kill all the women. They kill all the babies. It's a full-on genocidal campaign, right? But he decided to keep some of the livestock. Worse than that, though, however, is he decided to spare the king, the enemy king, because what? he feel like. I think he's a royal family favors, you know, in case we lose the next war, maybe the next Talk guy can think about us and spare me and stuff. Or he may be that he has a sudden moment of compassion for somebody that he can relate to in the, oh, you know, I see. Who knows? In any case. What did they want to do with him? Were they going to put yeah, him in a cage? keep him as prisoners, but, you know, kind of like keep them alive. And However... Is he going to want to be alive after he's seen all his people killed? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking, not a good idea to have this cat in your little king cage he's next not, to your throne room. He's not going to have an option in any case, because within the Jewish population, other people are really horrified with the fact that Saul clearly is going soft by only massacring men, women, and kids and some of the animals. No but king. Not, no, this is a bad <laughs> deal. So one of the judges who are kind of like the important, uh, they play a role that's more legal and prophetic in ancient Jewish society. Samuel decided that God has clearly withdrawn his favor from Saul because he has spared the Amalekite king, and that's a grievous sin. Yeah. So in a full-on uh, lynching moment, Samuel and these guys proceed to grab the, the Amalekite, Amalekite king, kill him, no trial, no nothing. He needs to go. And um, and that's kind of plants the seed of this conflict between, uh, you know, the first Jewish king. We're all looking up at him so that he could finally, we could all live by God's law and look at this wimp. He only kids, all men, women and kids, but doesn't stick to the letter of the law. What can we do? So we couldn't live without a king. Nope. Now we can't. It's kind of like a you two with or without you kind of song. You know, it's like you couldn't live without the king. He was told to kill them all. He went to war, but he dropped their ball. <laughs> Very and bring the king out here. Sorry about Beautiful. that. Sometimes I just get moved. <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, so that's the tale for you. So again, you know, in case you thought that just because we got a king now, we couldn't have a good genocide, don't worry, we got it. A little mini genocide. Yeah. So you're just doing, this is just one little town, village, yeah, not exactly. even a city. Yeah. Just go rub them out. Wipe them out. Plenty um, more to go destroy later. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. sends a good, strong message. I agree. Well, so, Genghis Khan would be down. Yeah. So this is But he would have uh, killed the king. Yeah, there's no way that, uh, in fact, that's why Saul comes across as this softy and uh, doesn't have what it takes. That's Saul the softy for y'all. much ranting to do today and it, luckily for us it's rant time yes it is well this is a somewhat difficult rant because it deals with uh, kind of emotional realizations that i was dealing with incidentally i mentioned in the intro i wasn't gonna talk about on it much because i want to in an odd kind of way it would pop up during this story so i might as well mention it now the result of the stuff that I'm, about, that I'm about to tell you is the fact that I was really messed up physically for a good 10 days. Mainly, I mean, I was fine. I was just, my stomach was just knotted up, right? It's like, couldn't digest anything. And it's just completely psychosomatic, right? I, because basically what happened is we, um, I took his up north to go visit her cousin and their aunts and stuff. And of course, for me, it's a weird place to be because it's kind of where I was there a lot with Elizabeth and I had, so it kind of, even if my conscious mind is telling me totally normal, there's no problem with any of this. So what? I don't feel anything subconsciously. Clearly, that's not the way it plays out and it moves a lot of stuff. And so the end result was that while my conscious was like, I am completely fine. I feel nothing about it. I am emotionally 
perfectly balance my you, you stomach like was arguing with you arguing that. otherwise exactly reminding me that what my conscious says is not always the whole picture but that seems completely normal it is That's completely a normal huge stressor i mean and it it's is gotta be a little bit odd to be amongst her family with her gone yeah definitely and it brings back you know it reminds me a lot of things so in that case on it came to the rescue i started downing like there was no tomorrow this pack of total gut health it's a bunch of uh um enzymes probiotics you name it stuff that would well that's on my list superfood gut version yep that's what we got so i'll add it did you like did you like it yeah it was definitely good for me so well, i that's why i bring it up because feeding your fauna is unbelievably important. yeah i mean it, look here's my kombucha just to it's not gonna do anything wrong for you no and more likely than not it's gonna help so why not you know so I've uh, I've been on a big thank you on it for the total gut health pack. Nice, deeply appreciate it. And uh, but aside for the, of course, this is the aside to the story. The the real thing is that it kind of made me realize something. Like I was there miserable physically for a few days. I came back, I was doing other stuff, and one day I decided I haven't listened to this song enough forever. Right, good old Prince. Purple Rain, oh. the classic, which incidentally I realized is the very first audio cassette that I ever bought on my own. And uh, I was 10 or something or 11, something like that. And I remember buying Purple Rain was the, the very first. I, th- I still have it from way back yeah. when. I doubt that it plays anything by now, but it was my very first audio cassette. Now, had you had LPs before and this was when the switchover was happening? And well, you, the you're LPs gonna get your were. And it yeah, was exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I was oh, going yeah. for that because, you know, I had all the records, the LP from my dad, from my mom, mainly my dad. And we had the music that way, and I would listen to their music and dig it. But this was the first that I'm like, I want to get my own damn audio cassette. I awesome. want the Walkman, all of that stuff. But aside, in any case, I didn't listen to it in forever. I listened. And it kind of, I don't know, maybe contributed, whatever. Something in my brain was going in a certain direction, and I started realizing something. And specifically, the thing I realized is that there's a part of me that feels like a complete failure because uh, I was like, what is that I'm so upset by? What is that? And I feel that I feel because I wasn't able to save her. And by wasn't able to save her, I don't mean disease part. That part I get, you know, I'm, I get that there's nothing I could do about it. I'm kind of at, well, I don't know if I'm at peace with that, but I'm more at peace with that than with another side. The part that I really truly felt like a failure, and I still do to some degree, is that I feel that, I failed to save the sweet part of her from her demons. I always, I remember seeing, like, when I was a kid and I was um, reading Timothy Leary. I idolized Timothy Leary. I thought he was awesome. He was such a great guy. And I remember reading about him and reading how he, his first wife had killed herself. And I was always like, how the hell, in my view... Again, granted, I was 14 and probably stupid, but in my view, that was a feeling. How it's do you like, let that happen? If you are Timothy Leary and you are this amazing human being, yeah. how is it possible that somebody who's so close to you can, you fuck, you screwed up, you know? It's it's your fault to some degree, right? That was my thinking. Clearly, I must not have outgrown that thinking, even to, again, rationally understand that's stupid. I understand that that's not. Too much more story there to ever know for sure. But yeah. There's that in their case. And in this case, you know, it wasn't, uh, it just, there's part of me, like, I'm wondering sometimes, like, I think about Elizabeth these days and I realize that I rarely ever remember any of the good stuff. I almost always remember bad stuff. Because I think if I think about the good stuff, if I remember the sweet part of her, the great moments, kind of that part that trusted me and desperately needed me as a friend, then I kind of have to face the fact that I feel that she had uh, reached out to me before the demons overtook her and that I wasn't able to. I feel like the image that I get is like grabbing the hand and slip right through my fingers and grabbing again and slip through my fingers. And so the idea that despite trying with every ounce of my energy, I really wasn't able to pull her out. And so I feel... Hence the feeling of miserable failure. You know, it's like I was pretty much the only one she really trusted as much as she could trust anybody. 
and I was the only one really in a position to help her. If anybody was going to do it, it was going to be me. And the result was by, you know, she was actually getting swallowed up deeper and deeper into anger. And like for a while, it looked like things were getting better and they did. But then at the end, I felt like the last few years, I felt that their anger was taking a toll on her and it was becoming dominant and it was and all my trying wasn't really solving it not even a tiny bit is there any possibility that that was uh, a part of the brain tumor that early on hormonally because right it could really mess with your hormones i mean something sure. even small is starting to erupt you know no everything is possible and i get it but this idea of uh and also there's that possibility, which you're right, is very realistic. There's also not just a possibility, but a guarantee that I do have an omnipotence complex. And somehow I think that it's my responsibility to do something that's simply impossible for anybody to accomplish. So there's that as well. Because, I mean, maybe the reality is that no one really saves anyone. It's like you can help somebody, you yep. can do your best, yep. but there's a limit where I can't do it for someone else or no one else can do it for me. It's... You can't save anybody from themselves, for right. sure. And then the fact that you were reaching out and you were trying to make things better or, you know, try to settle down. It's not so bad. There's good things. And yeah. I, I, I kind of know everything you're talking about. And it's a pat on the back to even attempt to continue to try that because that had to be kind of a toxic situation if you continually getting this negativity that's really bringing you down you're trying to bring her out of it yeah even sticking around and attempting to make it better but is, you know it's points like, in your in your favor it, don't beat yourself up my friend i agree and yet it feels i agree right rationally i agree yeah and yet it feels like the speech that you get after a losing game that say you guys played a good season come on you did your best and, you, and in the back of your mind you're saying yeah thanks still lost uh you know that's the that's kind of the feeling you know no matter how much my rational mind tells me otherwise i do feel like i feel someone who trusted me and needed my help and so again it's not for lack of trying there's no argument about i don't blame myself for oh i should have tried this or i didn't try hard enough i just feel that you know, yeah, maybe there are 10,000 reasons telling me that no one else could have done any better, but I still feel that I failed. You know, that's the end result. And in my worldview there, you get no points for trying. You know, it's like, yeah, that's sweet that you tried, but again, there's no medal for participating. There's You either pulled it off or you didn't. And I try to look at it in some other way, but I just feel this damn overwhelming sense of failure. And that's kind of where it's at. So again, it's not my brain is on board, right? My brain yep. gets it that this is bullshit. But your heart's still pissed off. And my stomach goes with it. So as uh, that's part of the conflict. Well, and in a way, you were robbed too because if you were given a few more decades, mm -hmm. you probably could have perfected this thing. Maybe, maybe. Because who knows? Sure, sure. But so that's the weird internal conflict between and well, I, realize, I hear you loud and clear but I, I i hope there's some way you can let go of some of that because come on i mean i think even even realizing that that's what's going on yeah that's a good step one in the sense that at least it's clear why i feel because i mean i was thinking about it, it's like why is it that i remember only crap why is it that i seem to have removed all the good stuff and, and there was a lot of and that's stuff. an odd one too because generally yeah. i know you know especially the only thing i have any sort of equation to is when my father died mm -hmm. and uh all this sort of contention and you know fathers and sons and sort of you yeah. know we the saddest part about that was that we were just getting to know each other as men mm -hmm. you know i was right. in my early 20s and all that sort of stuff of being a kid and growing up and we were just learning Right. about each other and that was stolen from me and yep. i've always been upset about that nothing you can do to fix it but when he passed away man the little nitpicky bullshit and the crazy arguments we'd have just you know dads and sons right it all evaporated no I, and i know and it's and you don't get to have uh, and sometimes it's not you know it's one thing if you have tried is one thing uh, like if you have tried at least you can say well you don't have that regret like it's like okay i tried at least yeah but then again, there's the trying doesn't. No, I it's hear like, you. Yeah, great, you tried. Good job. Pat on the back. No, you I, failed. I, I, I sure I so like a total hypocrite because I'm absolutely not a participant 
award winner at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you got to lose. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you are in a game where probably there really is no win. That you're going to lose or you're going to lose or you're going to lose. And that's where it's at. And well, you went down swinging. So yeah. It's... There's points for that. Sure. <laughs> Good job, sluggers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, that's what brought me to this old uh, stomach on it <laughs> connected rant. Well, how's the stomach now? Because it's much better. It's much better. I would say it's like ninety five percent. So I'm just gonna watch what I eat for a few more days, and then I'm good to go. Where do they live? Are they up in San Francisco or? Uh, you wish. Uh, they live in like the East Bay. Well, actually, even the East Bay would be generous because it's like oh Berkeley, yeah, Oakland. Yeah. No, make it forty five minutes east of that. In the middle of cow country, Ooh. it's just uh, Livermore or pleasant places that I don't wish on anybody. Because, in my opinion, I don't get why anybody would live there. Well, it's Napa wine kind of country. Kind no, of no, 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 no. You're not there you're going, yet. You're going yeah, east. You're going east. In uh, it's just there's a nuclear lab. Oh, there good, are good, a bunch good. of cows everywhere, yeah, and there are some are nice. super conservative Christians. Mm. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's uh, between the atomic cows and so not my place. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of atoms, yeah, it seems to be good news. I don't know if you're aware of it, but up towards San Luis Obispo, Morro Bay, Pismo Beach, that sort of chunk up there, hidden behind the rocks of uh, uh, Avila Beach is the El Diablo nuclear facility. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, is there a worse name? That's pretty bad. The Devil Nuclear Facility. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, there it sits. If it were to go up, Cambria, Hearst Castle. Yeah, wait, what's the good news? They're shutting it down. Oh, 20, that is an interesting 2020, one. 20, they're supposed to wind it down and turn that thing off. Yeah, because I have that in a place that is likely to have some of the biggest earthquake anywhere. It's sitting on a fault. does not seem like the greatest idea in the world. And despite Fukushima, I don't think they ever bothered to raise the flood walls at all. Jesus so, Christ. When the yeah. tsunami, it literally sits on the ocean. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it was the sister one. If you've ever been down to Camp Pendleton, and those, they look like two big boobs sitting in the middle of the thing. That one got shut down years ago because the aluminum in the pipes was 90% more degraded than they thought it was wow. supposed to be. That's... Yeah. So, despite the good news being 2020, this feels like a long way away Yeah, right now. seriously. It's like, avoid earthquakes for the next oh, foreseeable man. future. They, I, well, I'm sure, like, Fukushima had to be beautiful, too, to be on the coastline like that, and to never be able to enter that area again for 20,000 years. Yeah, no, that's, that's bad news right there. Anyway, so, I'm trying to divert us from our sad topic. <laughs> Sound good. <laughs> I was just enjoying that. Good. Let's go play with the Isabella moment. Yeah. So we got a couple of them. We have uh, one was uh, some useful breakfast talk. Mm. Over breakfast while eating pancakes and stuff, Isabella turned to me and said, so when you're dead, which is always a good start of a conversation. Sure. Right? So when you're dead, you want me to put you in a boat with your sword, push the boat in the water and shoot a fire arrow that sets the boat on fire. That's a pretty cool one. I was like, I have to admit that I gave it some thought. I was mildly worried about her going to jail because of burning down shit and, and, you know. But other than that, that's uh, Viking funerals are always... There has to be some capacity for that being allowed. People would be... There would be too many angry Vikings you'd hear about all the time. Ah. I can't have a damn fire funeral. I know. I think you're good to go on that. I think... I agree. I think that's the way to go. So, sword, boat, fire... That's the way. Have you seen that you can have yourself planted into a pod that's sunk down to become a, a barrier reef? I saw that. Very that's not too terrible either. <clears throat> no, that's a good one. I don't well. mind being consumed by the ocean. No. I, don't, I don't want my last moment to be crunched down. Did you see that asshole that was in his shark cage? Yes, I saw that. And that shark was like, oh, what's in here? Yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, there was a terrifying footage of some guy who was like, I'm going to swim with the white sharks yeah. inside the cage. 
and the cage broke open and the shark <laughs> went right through it. Luckily, <laughs> didn't get eaten, but he was pretty damn scary. I'm imagining that his uh, wetsuit was probably full of yeah, completely full I mean, of shit. Can you How imagine? Could... Well, and, and he it, when you see the footage, they don't immediately even know anybody's still in there. No. So, no, and the shark somehow pops out the top of the tank, yeah, and you and see just water splashing in every nobody direction. Nobody in there. Uh, so this guy is just far down in the corners. Yeah. He can hide with shit pouring out of his wetsuit. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, that would be a bad. <laughs> that would give me night. It gives me nightmares to just watch it on YouTube, let alone or uh, for all eternity to have everybody like. No, let me get this straight. You thought it would be a good idea to get in a little metal cage. Yeah. Didn't you watch Jaws? That shit didn't work on Jaws. <laughs> No, I know, man. Clearly, they that have not was... improved the shark uh, cage. Yeah. And, I, you know, it made me... You think a shark big, kind of bulky, mean thing, but shark showed a lot of sort of cat-like capacities to sort of yeah, popped, wriggle and yeah, squeeze and up. Popped and popped out of the top of the cage, which yeah. was crazy. No, yeah. yeah, that was stuff that... You know, I'm not a big fan of the ocean for that reason. Yeah. Is I like going to, you know, when I'm in Italy, swimming in the Mediterranean Sea, it's awesome. You know, there are hardly ever you see sharks... It's very mellow. The currents are not that bad. So it's really like a big swimming pool, somewhat warm, warm too. too. Yeah, yeah. The ocean is a whole other beast. It's cold. It's full of these giant things that can eat you. And currents are brutal. So I'm less of a fan of the ocean. Well, Peter Benchley, since we got on the sharks for a second, the guy who wrote Jaws mm-hmm. and The Deep and those sort of books, um, spent the rest of his life apologizing for making sharks, you know. He said, look... You are wading into the raw jungle yeah. of the undersea world. Yeah. You wouldn't hop off somewhere in Kenya and just go blindly 100 yards yeah. up into the goddamn jungle or, or the grassland. Definitely. Because you would be eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the ocean is one of the things that I'm always like, it looks beautiful, yeah. but... Well, anyway. anyway number a, two. On a different... Isabella moment. Yeah, yeah. We have a few nights ago, I hear some noise coming from Isabella's room. So I go check and it's her and she's laughing her ass off while completely asleep. And uh, and then I hear her mumbling to herself, ah, I crack myself up. Huh. <laughs> All of this without ever waking up. I thought that was a, whatever the dream was, was a good one. And that even is. the self-conscious moment of I crack myself up was not bad. So that is it for the Isabella moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's story time again, everybody. Brought to you by our friends at Sure Design T-shirts about legendary adventures of people who wear clothes that are soft on their on their happy parts on their chest. That's always good. On that note, yeah, let's jump into a glorious story. I love glorious stories. My one of my compatriots from Italy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, we go back to World War II time, and we're speaking about a, na- a man by the name of Gino Bartali. Gino Bartali was one of the top uh, cyclist professionals of the era. He had won uh, the Giro d'Italia multiple times, I think three times. He won the Tour de France twice. He was one of the top guys in cycling at the time. The reason why we mention him, though, is not really for sports at all, really. Sports will be the cover for the real beauty of this story. It's uh, at a time, you know, he's around during the period of World War War II in Italy, at the time when fascism is ruling, where um, anybody disagreeing with Mussolini and the fascist regime can find themselves on the wrong end of a gun real quick. Sounds frighteningly familiar all of a sudden. Yeah, it's not a pleasant place or time to be around. Uh, You have... uh, And of course, this spells bad news for Jewish people in Italy, since obviously the fascist regime was allied with uh, Nazi Germany. And so Jewish people in in Italy would be picked up by uh, the Nazis, shipped off to Germany, off to the concentration camps they go. And, you know, that story doesn't work out very well. So here is the story that the role that Bartali played into this story. Um, this is incidentally covered in a documentary that I haven't got to see yet. I'm curious to check it out. It's called My Italian Secret, The Forgotten Heroes. 
And basically what the story is about, it's interesting because it's a kind of a, it's been discovered relatively recently because Bartali did not talk about this not with his family. He kind of didn't want to talk about the, mm, the story that we're about to describe because he was kind of a really humble guy and didn't want to feel like he was doing things too. So in any case, the story, the way it plays out is this. He's... Um, after winning the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, he's doing all this kind of stuff. Oh, he wasn't just a cyclist. He was the top of the top. Yeah, he was at the top of the game. And Mussolini, of course, pointed to him as, look, this is uh, what true Italians are like. We are part of the master race. This is what, you know, what fascism produces, what Italy produces, the nation that... The problem was Bartali did not like Mussolini or fascism. So oh. he's kind of been made into this symbol for something that he hates. So he would be, you know, he's against this whole national pride fascist bullshit that Mussolini is trying to push. So at one point when he won the Tour de France, the invitation and the pressure was that he was supposed to dedicate the victory to Mussolini. Mm. And he didn't, which was a huge insult and something that could have turned really badly right there. But worse than that is the fact that at that time Mussolini had written this manifesto on race, which would lead to Jewish people being stripped of citizenship or any kind of role in government or in some cases even their jobs. He was the prelude to going to the camps and ending up on the wrong side of the Nazis. Wow. So as this was happening, and incidentally the German army was occupying the northern and central portion of Italy, the rounding up of Jews was happening at a high pace. And this is where Bartali takes his cycling talents and put them to a different kind of use. He was asked by the Cardinal of Florence, uh, a certain Archbishop, Archbishop Elia Dalla Costa. Now, keep in mind, when we're talking about the Catholic Church in Italy, there were some really awful human beings who were in bed with the fascist regime. And there were also some awesome human beings who were risking their lives to save strangers' lives, essentially. Which so is the whole country is written in half. They're... Totally. Absolutely. You and know, you being... never knew where anybody's no, uh, alliance part really... Of the... No, you didn't. You know, Because officially you have to put on a certain front. But you don't know who's... Who's, play, who's playing a double game, who's being a ninja, and who's actually... And a massive underground of both, I guess. Absolutely, exactly. So this guy, the Archbishop uh, in Florence, was uh, trying to find 12 Jewish people escape, to find, uh, kind of give them safe passage, find, protect them, hide them out, do all of this kind of stuff. So what they asked Bartali to do was to become a courier, taking you know he had to train anyway so he was taking this long ride supposedly for training for his next athletic feats so as he's doing that what they did is he was scattering uh, counterfeit documents you know forged passports pictures and stuff within the frame of his bikes he was they were they hidden roll it up and they would hide them into the handlebars inside the bike wow. and so on so that he could carry all these documents that then would be used by Jewish people to be able to flee away from Italy and from the Nazis and escape and essentially make it out with their lives. So he went up and down from, you know, Tuscany down south and everything else. And clearly he was taking a huge chance because if they busted him, he would have been against a wall in no time, just getting executed. But what a great cover. Totally. That's a great cover. And in fact, when he would get stopped, he would say, look, search whatever you want. But A, you know why I'm doing this. I mean, I'm a cyclist. Everybody knows me. That's what I do. It's I train. That's why are you on a bike in the middle? That's why, you know, <laughs> to touch anything you want. Just don't mess with my bike because it's perfectly calibrated to work at a professional level. If you screw that up, then you have to answer the fact that I may not win the next race, which looks bad on Italy and everything else. And aren't we all good Italian patriots? Yeah. Mr. Mussolini be mad if you mess my bike up. That's basically <laughs> the message. So he played it perfectly, right? He played it brilliantly to be able to do this. And in addition to doing all that, uh, because it wasn't quite enough to risk his life by riding up and down Italy in this way, Bartali also hid in his own home some of his Jewish friends. Wow. And, uh, you know, this guy, one of the, the son of the man that he hid, he said, he hid us in spite of knowing that the Germans were killing everybody who was hiding Jews. Uh, he was risking not only his life, but also his family. 
Gino Bartali saved my life and the life of my family. That's clear because if he had not hidden us, we would have nowhere to go. So that's pretty badass right there. And the story goes that part of the reason why he never mentioned this stuff and wasn't really talking about it to anyone, eventually with his kid, he um, Bartali's own kid, uh, reports about why he had kept so quiet about this whole thing. And he said, when I asked my father why I couldn't tell anyone, he said, you must do good, but you must not talk about it. If you talk about it, you're taking advantage of others' misfortunes for your own gain. You know, the whole idea that then you're just being an ego-driven asshole who's yeah. just trying to do stuff. So, so just shut up. Do, do the right thing and then move on and leave it at that. You don't, you're not doing it for the recognition, so what the hell are you keeping tab for? Which is, I don't know, I, I don't think I would pull it off that good. I'm down to doing the heroic act, but then I want to pat myself on the back That's and then exactly people the words go, saying, you, you clap, know, little, clap. You're, you're, you kind of do a little pat on the back after you've done heroic things like that. Yeah, yeah. I but think, some folks are that way, you know. They yeah, just good for him. Do it and be on my way. So how did he get out of it? Did eventually the son just have to tell people or... Yeah, I mean, eventually, yeah. He said that he didn't want it to, he didn't want it to be known when he was alive. He's like, after I'm dead, do whatever the hell you want. Talk about it if you want and stuff. But while I'm alive, no, it's not a story that I want out. Wow. And, um, there was something crazy. I can't even remember what was on TV, but essentially some cat who had saved a bunch of kids, 30, mm -hmm. 40, 50 of them. Um, and it was the same sort of thing. He kept it quiet all these years and he got invited on. I can't remember what the show was, but everybody in the audience around him were the kids he had saved. Oh, wow. And That's, when they unveiled that, the tears were plentiful. Of course, I can imagine. Same sort of insanity, man. Yeah. Don't you hope, though, when the chips come down and you're in that situation, that you make the right decisions? Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because here you're talking about somebody. You know, we were just talking a little bit ago. I think it may have been on a different podcast since we're recording two different podcasts on the same day. But we're recording about sometimes the pressure. Oh, no, it was on this one. The pressure of fame. Yes. And how fame can mess with your head sometimes. Here you have a dude who, in his chosen sport. Cycling at this time in Italy was a big deal. I wouldn't say it was the top sport because it wasn't. But it was, you know, in the top five or something. It was a big, definitely a big deal. You are the top guy in the country and one of the top three or four in the world. Yeah. And you end up doing something like this. It's kind of like you imagine a story where you have uh, Michael Jordan saving people during the middle. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That's a crazy tale right there. So, you know, I ran into this story. I hadn't seen the documentary yet, but I'm like, you know what? Before I even let me just tell the story because it's badass in itself. It's a, it's a great tale. So I wanted to share it with you guys and make you aware of it. An excellent story for the hero in your soul. So it's time to put my protective asbestos gloves on and reach deep inside the digital mailbag and, and rustle around there and pop something out. And, and what is it? We got Mr. Thomas Ferrara telling us the following. Um, basically, his whole question revolves around discipline. You know, it's like discipline is great. Of course, once in a while you need a break and you need, uh, you know, to play video games for eight hours in a row while eating junk food. What's the boundary though? When suddenly playing video games one day turn into two into three, the one bag of Doritos turn into five, and you know, it's like how much how do we play that game since the slope is extremely slippery there? How do we how do we deal with it? Well, I mean to me it's like I go through cycles about this stuff. Like I will be awesome about eating, about habits you know where i'm not wasting time i'm taking care of business i'm doing this and that but then as you say of course once in a while you need to just say screw it i want to get a taste of that junk food i want to get a taste of like sitting down and playing video games forever i want to you know why not let's play you only get one trip the problem is that when you open the door it's usually really damn hard to close it because it gets really addictive to start playing that game and i notice it in particular with food 
where I'll uh, eat really well. And then he's like, ah, I can have some ice cream. Come on. And then some ice cream turns. That's in. my worst weakness of them all. And then it starts piling up, right? And before you know it, I'm just putting... Three times uh, a day ice cream. Yeah, and I'm putting covering uh, cookies of, in Nutella because oh. they are not sweet enough. And oh. then there's one particular perversion that I do in uh, close to Christmas when Trader Joe got their panettone from Italy. Oh. And... Uh, because panettone is not already sweet enough, and it is, then I cover it in Nutella, and then I do that. And so, but yes. that just makes perfect sense. That's no. two awesome sweetness joining together. It's absolute joy. The problem is that it comes a point where suddenly you realize that you need to go to a rehab, and it's time to <laughs> <laughs> that we have passed all the safety measures. And, that, and then after a point, you don't enjoy it anymore. It becomes just compulsive consumption, whether it's video games, whether it is uh, food, whether it is any other of the quote-unquote small-scale vices where you need to. And what I do in those cases, I go, I find it easier if you travel or if you do something where you are away from home because you break the routine and it's a lot easier to break, break with a pattern when you're not in the same environment. That's why I think the idea of rehab is you get out of a, the place where you... Are, it's easier. It's a way easier to do. And then, of course, you have to be super tough when you get back to your environment to be able to not switch back to how you left it, but kind of implement this new approach. I find travel awesome for breaking habits because, you know, travel, you kind of get a break from your regular life and it becomes And you don't easier. want to pay $19 for ice cream. Precisely. So it becomes <laughs> a lot easier to start a gig. And, uh, and then it becomes, you know, stupid discipline. So to me, it's, a, it's an up and down gig. It's like, I'll be really good. Then I tell myself, okay, you can go that route. Then I screw it up. Then come back. My thing, my main issue would be have a very clear sense of what's screwing it up within the limits here. So, for example, if you find yourself where suddenly you have uh, gained uh, 50 pounds in six months. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do it by the time you have hit 10 pounds more and you're there all the 10 wrong kind of pounds, not because you have been lifting. That's your wake up call. That's the moment where you go, oh, shit. OK, I've hit my limit. Because 10 pounds, no big deal, right? And I use that just because it's a numerical example that's easier, you know, even if it's not about food, it's about something else. Well, even with the video but, games example, I mean, when you're starting to lose eight-hour chunks of time... Yeah, you give yourself... To the land of Glorf, yeah, you know. <laughs> you need to keep a, a timer on, where it's like, how much time did I spend this week? Okay, that's the equivalent of my 10 pounds. Yeah. I passed the limit. Let's fix it now. Because now is not a big deal to fix. But my once young, it's My become... youngest one spent a year staying up all night long playing games. Yeah. That's... And when you break that thing, you spent 2,000 hours. Yeah. That's a bit now, much. Now, I'm not saying don't play games at night anymore. Right. But what if you split that in half? What if you spent 1,000 hours? Yeah. And this may help get you disciplined, too. If you're watching eight-hour chunks go away... Hey, maybe I should work on my record for four hours. Hey, maybe I should work on my painting. Whatever it is. Precisely. Cut it in half. Yeah. Still play your game. Yeah. You're still going to be tired in the morning for staying up all night. But make sure something, I'm not saying video games are negative, but. No, 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 no. But something it's creative, like something else. It really is just sort of you're there. It's like anything else. You can, it's all about, but I think it's useful to have the measure before you go in mm -hmm. rather than expecting that at some point you'll realize it. Because. Yeah. You want no. Once you go down that path, then it's a pattern. Exactly. And there you go. You have to have the limit before you open the door. It's like that door is gonna be open for X amount of time, for X amount of days, for X. After that, we shut it close. Do you know how I chase the ice cream away? Oh, I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's but that's rough, man. There are those days where just well, like especially if especially if Briar's on sale for two ninety eight. Oh, God. You know, that's yeah, yeah. milk, cream, sugar, and yum. That's all there is to that. Yeah. It's so good. I actually, uh, have you ever experienced Pinkberry? No. I it's a frozen yogurt, and I don't think it actually has actually any yogurt in it. Mm -hmm. But it's so supremely delicious, and it's melt factor, which right. I think is a big part of ice cream, that oh, yeah. melting totally. is so... And I think this shit is... It's so cold that when you put the, the blueberries and the mango on top of it, the mango and blueberries freeze. Wow. So it's got some sort of capacity to be extra yeah. cold. And when it hits your tongue, it dissolves into cool, cold deliciousness. And that, by the way, 
that warrants a trip to Italy by itself. Because whenever you have, you know, I like ice cream, yeah. but then whenever I have like Italian gelato, I'm oh. like, oh my God, what was I even consuming that crap for? Because by comparison, gelato is so much better that it's not even... What's the best? I mean, I'm sure I've had like the strawberries and the... But you is know, it like, depends where you go, because like some people, depending do, on like, the ingredients, a rum raisin or something incredible like that. It's where... the it's not even the flavor is uh, how fresh the ingredients oh. are, how good they are at making the mix. You know, it's like in in Italy, there's like a gelato place at literally every other corner, probably even more than that. And the difference from one corner to the next sometimes is huge. And there are places that are like, nah, don't go there, it's lower quality. And the <laughs> other one, you go and it's amazing. And it's, you know, they're the same flavors, they have the same everything, but something in the process is clearly different. Or we the, have an amazing example of that with taco uh, trucks here, folks. Anybody in LA, it's, it, it's, it's Venice and La Brea. That's where it's And every is. night, there's one truck that's got four or five people in it, you know, sort of like your yeah. regular crowd. And the one across the street, has 52 people yep. in line. Yep, yep, yep. And it's been that way for 10 For 10 years, and I've pondered this why. and looked at it, yeah. and I've never bothered to go because always, I'm always in a damn hurry. Now you need to knock on them and say, hey, I gave you free ad. Can I get a taco, please? Absolutely. Yeah. I got to see what it's about. Well, I know what it's about because um, I spied it about a year ago. They have like a, like a pony keg-sized um, shawarma set up. Right. So it's massive spinning meat, so the outside's yeah. getting cooked. That, I think, is the secret to their success. That's the way. Like, yeah. Wow. And exactly what you said. If there's a line there, there's probably a reason for it. Yep, most definitely. What do you think? Shall we go for a sack on the digital mailbag? I hope we address it to discipline. I'd do another one real quick if you have a moment. Why not? Let's pick, let's pick Mr. Matt Roberts from Musashi Designs, who I've mentioned, I think, in a previous episode because he sent me a glorious skateboard. Nice. And uh, sitting bull t-shirts, which was beautiful oh, is it old art or is it something they reconfigured no i mean it's a it's the traditional with, yeah yeah it's a photo with and uh, i'll put a link to his stuff in the episode notes if do you a chief joseph one out. next for me pal yeah chief joseph i get too sad at least it boulders a bit more defiance there no, chief joseph is know, a sad story his epicness is incredible though i agree no it is uh, i believe his brother had a lot to do with it too didn't your brother leave the raids where he you know what i don't remember i need I to like okay i don't look mean at it. it again but in any case good old matt tells us that he listened to the history on fire episodes about caravaggio and he said that made me think is the price of greatness worth it you know maybe something uh, let me see the, basically the topic being how many Great men are killed, go crazy, have shitty family lives. Most um, of them. Right. So there's uh, that pressure on, is there kind of a more mellow, less grandiose life that just happier? Maybe a better deal? Or, you know, and what he's saying, I'm not saying to settle or stop pursuing things, but uh, stop believing it's the only thing. You know, there can be so many reasons why people sacrifice everything to achieve. It's interesting. And yes, I mean, it is one of the things because you don't really get to be extraordinary by being normal. Nope. Or even normal, forget normal, because normal is not healthy. What Matt is actually talking about is something better than normal because he's talking about somebody who does create a good life, not the shitty, semi-unpleasant, normal life. That is a whole other issue because, you know, the normal life versus the great tragic one. Well, the great tragic one is probably cooler because the normal one is miserable anyway, plus it doesn't have the greatness. What Matt is talking about is finding a way to actually create a more mellow, happy life that's not necessarily shooting for the stars. You're not. And I guess why is it that in order to shoot for the stars, it seems you need to have this internal chaos, discontent, weirdness to it all? Probably because there's a lack of satisfaction somehow. That I think nothing's so. ever good enough that you've got to keep on. I mean, yeah, because if you're having a good time, yeah. you don't want to put 20 hours in a row on that painting where you just cannot sleep until you get it done. You don't want to do. So you kind of need to have a little bit of that. Well, with Car Caravaggio, the strange thing is to um, be recognized while he's alive. Sure. For painters, that's yeah. definitely not the norm. Right, right, right. He had the hot hand while he was living. So if that puts him more into like a pop star of today yeah, where totally. all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who tell you your shit doesn't stink. You yeah. start to believe it and down you go. I think it's unsurvivable. The fame never really works out for anybody. Yeah, I mean, you need to be... 
seriously zen about it to be able to pull it off yep. you need to be really know yourself very well uh, it's it's hard it's hard it's not a problem that I would mind having i would i would I'd be like very to willing yeah, to I test hope, it hope yes, i would do well exactly i can also uh, attest the billionaire class thing too to see if yeah, i can yeah, manage yeah, exactly. to I hold my manage. foolish notions right before i get those nine thousand dollar suits on me like, it would oh. be it would be an interesting test if anybody any of you guys want to throw a billion dollar away to see if we can pass the test i think this would be a very interesting anthropological experiment i like the notion that you have these guys just musicians what comes to mind just because it's sort of more matchable as like a massive success in your lifetime and you have these guys are sort of regional you know they play the colleges in their area you know they probably have maybe a two three state chunk that they're really known in and they get a good crowd and Mm -hmm. they happily you know do that right i think they i'm sure there's a notion in them that that hit's gonna come and i'm gonna play in front of 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. But then again, to be in front of 50,000 people, I guess it is the all-time goal, and how bad would it be to be Mick Jagger? So I just destroyed my own argument. But I guess, you know, what is the happier life? And as I get older, I don't think, you know, it's hard to say with never trying it, but having healthy kids that have never been hungry, that, you know, are off doing their thing, and, and a wife that loves me, that's what, a good stuff. What more do I need? That's you know? good stuff right there. And, and we've had our ebbs and flows. You know, I work in a crazy business where it works sometimes, especially we all went through 2008 when there were no jobs, mm-hmm. but we survived it. And maybe the challenge is the whole trip anyway. What is totally. it? It's, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not the arrival, it's the journey. And that's something that Matt threw out there in the question. He said, uh, uh, he goes, maybe because I always used to put pressure on myself about my own potential and needing to do greater things. And instead, I found myself happier the more I go with the flow. And he's saying, not saying to uh, settle or stop pursuing things, but to stop believing it's the only thing. And that's kind of the whole point of this, right? Is As usual with these things, it's never an either-or kind of stuff. It's a balancing act in terms of... If you feel that that would make you happy, if you feel that, Jesus Christ, I need to write this book, I need to do this painting, I need to shoot for the stars, I need to play on a grandiose stage, and you do it because it's what deep down you want, that's one thing. If you're chasing some ego-driven, I need to be Britney Spears because I want the fame and the attention, that's a different kind of story. You know, that's where... And in some cases, it's hard to separate because in some cases there is true genius at work, but at the same time, you are, in order to get to the place, you are overlooking overlooking all the other sides of your life. I was, um, uh, not so long ago, like a few days ago, Isabella was talking about, um, was mentioning how I, she said something about kind of playing with her. And I was saying, well, I play with her. I, I play with you a bunch. And she was like, yeah but you always have your computer open so even when you're playing you're like and i was like you know what i'm an asshole and she's right and there's something about it that yes i want to get stuff done i want to work i want to make all these things happen but there's a place where that is just bullshit on my part i need to shut down the goddamn computer for a few minutes i need to stop pursuing this obsessive make it happen write the great american novel do the next podcast do the and just be there and just be there and play and nothing else. And that becomes beautiful in itself. So again, I'm not saying it like I'm the master that I figured this out because I haven't. I'm just kind of telling you about my experience on this. And that's where we are. Well, and there's an incredible importance of being in the moment. And I think we forget about that sometimes. And that's what pursuing things and being on a chase and constantly on the prowl for the next thing that you're hustling for yeah. will make you forget sometimes. You need it to some degree, but then we'll also screw you up. So having said that, we zip the mailbag right back up. Bye, mailbag. Funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Towers podcast, episode 98 in the books. That's amazing. That is quite badass. And uh, a quick thank you to those folks that help us make it happen. 
In this case, well, of course, there's the usual thank you to the trifecta of the suspects on it, Datsusara and Shore Design. You guys are awesome. Thanks for being in our corner. Uh, if you are listening, please check out, if you have never done it, check out their website once. Just skim through and see if there's anything that catches your eye that you decide, hey, you know what, this would actually be a cool thing to have. Then do it. If nothing catches your eye, that's fine. That's, you know, nobody's telling you to buy stuff that you don't need. That's just pointless. And uh, on that note, well, speaking of buying, uh, I haven't mentioned these guys in a long time, so might as well. If you by any chance are in the market for awesome chocolate, check out the nice folks at Kurokao Chocolate. There's a link in the episode notes. Mm. So, you know, the kind of winterish season where you want a glutton on nice fatty stuff to <sighs> store for the winter that's coming up. So, again, not that you need an excuse for chocolate, but that's a good one. Having said that, uh, we are doing back-to-back -back episodes. I think we have one donor as a result of that, I do believe. Let the pottering begin. We want to thank Miss Lisa Robles. Yay! Thank you, Lisa. We're probably going to have a longer list because we are recording this one, another one for which we have no donor, so there's going to be like three episodes down or something is when we got to read names again. Some of you sweet folks who donate every month, you'll have multiple donations in that one. Nice. Um, thank you. I understand that giving your money for something that we're putting out for free is just a sweet thing that you really don't have to do, but is very, very appreciated that you do. Can you imagine if actually every single person who listened did that through five bucks or something? We could basically leave off this. But of course, again, that's not the economics of how podcasting works, that you put out something for free and you expect everybody to pay. I don't know. It's a pretty but, bold notion for some kind fellas who've put out four solid years of uh, a nice piece of uh, happiness for your ears every 15 days, most of the time. Wow, five bucks. There's <laughs> a lot of you out there. I'm not opposed to that idea. That no, would be sweet. I, yeah, we need, we need new headphones. We've been using the same headphones for four years, and they're raggedy, and they leave little flakes of earphone funk on our ears. Imagine. Imagine the embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, that has been one of my things. Is like I always have this strange stuff on I my ears. Where the hell did this come yeah, from? It's funny. So, but... you know, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying... How about just $4? $1 for each year, one time, from the 19,000 of you out there. That, that would be nice. Come on, That's a sweet guys. Because we've gone on vacation. No. And, and some of you nice folks have been helping us with Amazon. If you haven't, please do that, because that really is the easiest thing. You take one minute of your life once, and you never have to do it again, as long as you keep the same computer or the same thing they used to order yep. to Amazon. Just bookmark it. Put it up there so you know you go back to that bookmark every single time. Yep. You know, you go on our, on our, uh, in our episode notes, you'll find our link and you bookmark that one. Yep. That allows you, so from there on, every single time you use the Amazon, um, Amazon for any reason, Amazon gives us a cut. It helps us a whole bunch. It so. does not cost you one extra cent. Nope. Nothing comes from you. It's all it's about with that evil corporate blood money, as our friends in the left like to say. And all you got to do is one time dedicate one minute to going online, finding our Amazon link, and bookmarking it. That's it. We're going to have those new headphones in no time. Let's do that. I'm down. <laughs> and uh, if you guys need some sweet something in your headphones, there's the Taoist Lecture Series that ah. a good chunk of you guys have checked out. Doesn't hurt if even more. That would be sweet. Seven hours worth of stuff. I recorded about 16 different lectures on the topic of Taoism. So there's that. There's, of course, the audio version of uh, Not Afraid, my latest book. And, you know, to be honest... Any other book I've written, of course, you know, I care about it because it's, I spent a ton of time doing it and putting time and energy, but Not Afraid, of course, is considerably more special for me because it's, uh, it's more personal. It's more kind of my life, my, it's there in my guts, it's there in my muscle, it's there in my blood. That's kind of what ends up on the page yeah. is me 100% my experience. So I feel it more than if you tell me, oh, I didn't like create your own religion. I'm like, eh, I get it. You know, there are different reasons why people like or don't like stuff. This to me is more, if any of the stuff that I bring to the table interests you, then you probably should check out this book because it's as uh, close to, 
me on a page as it's ever gonna get. So having said that, you can check out the audio version. Of course, you can get it on Amazon if you prefer good old fashioned printed books. It's a great book, guys, and it's definitely it's definitely a heavy read. So don't think it's like the lightest thing. But no. I, uh, you know, I think about it all the time. From the the great moments when you're talking about fi- facing off that opponent in the cage for mm-hmm. the first time, and how the fear yep. really has a possibility to just shut everything down, and uh, to the last chapter or the last section, which really is a tough one. Yeah, but at the same time, is. Let's put it that way. I don't pull punches, no. but it's not a kick in the balls either. It's not a and I don't mean it that way. I just mean it, 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 a lot to, lot to chew on mentally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not always the most lighthearted thing. That's for sure. But and, you, and everything doesn't need to be a comic book. Every once in a while, you need to take a good look. Indeed. And, uh, it's a fine book, man, and you should be proud of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. I wish you a wonderful day. So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, and that's scary to think. Nice. So don't kill people. Do that instead. Yeah, I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. <laughs> this was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell. Can me you about translate it? for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.